Hey team, welcome to episode 79 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. As a full service dental transition advisor, it's no doubt we receive a lot of questions here at NDP. We love that because it fuels our passion for equipping our clients with the knowledge and tools needed in any dental transition journey. Now, if you're a longtime listener, many of our episodes, you will know, answer lots of common questions, frequent situations that we see in our little corner of the world here. But we wanted to shine a light on some of the top questions that we get here at NDP. As we were coming up with the list for this show, we found that we actually have more than just four, more than just five. So we decided to split it into two. So on this episode, we're going to shine a light on the top four questions we typically get from buyers. And the next episode, we'll talk about the seller questions. So as always, I think you can gain a lot from listening to both sides of the story. So listen up, we'll tell you the questions. And of course, we'll tell you the answers too. So before we get going, Mr. Loretto. How are you? You're sounding a little raspy here. I know. What's, what's happening over there? You know, this is my radio voice. No, <laughs> this is my post-COVID, my family's going to get every bug under the sun. And yep. then last two weeks, I'm feeling better. All right. Sounding a little raspy, okay. though. Okay. I'm well, a, I'll try not to cough in your ears as you drive later. How was Thanksgiving? Did you cook your own turkey? Do you go buy a turkey? Okay, so this is my first time hosting. I have both families. We usually do like the Thanksgiving gauntlet where we have to eat all the food at all the houses. For whatever reason, it worked out this year that neither of our families were doing anything. So I cooked my first official turkey. Okay. It was really good. I was very nervous. All right. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I was like worried it was going to be like National Lampoon's like, you know, as turkey jerky, but it was really good. All the food turned out. Excellent. Nice little quiet, nice day at home. It was yeah. fun. What about you? Mine was a little dry. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm normally a pretty good cook and I didn't set the timer. So it's about 40 minutes too long. Mm. Mm-hmm. Put a little spice on there, and I think it just dried it out. Mm. So I was a little disappointed in the old Just turkeys. a little gravy. Yeah, just, just, just add the gravy. Just smother it. But very exciting news is this Thanksgiving, we had an interesting guest. Mm. The youngest uh, son, Roxanne's uh, youngest, gave us the heads up that he wanted to bring home a guest. And he brought a Japanese exchange student home. Telling you, you have the most interesting get-togethers. One kid brought the new girlfriend over. And so we, we were pretty dang excited. And so had this Japanese young man hang out with us for four days. He, Bryce, such a kind-hearted kid, he realized this kid looked a little bit lost. He actually did four years in Japan and Tokyo and then did a year of just basically training in the U.S. and pick Arkansas of a random place. And so Bryce does a little Google search on the, the kid, and then he does his Instagram and speaks his last name in perfect Japanese and says something like, hello, in, in Japan. And the guy turned around and looked at him and kind of freaked out. They became friends. They've been really good friends the whole semester. So cool. And, and realized he didn't have a place to go on Thanksgiving, so brought him home. And so, of course, Loretto's style, you know, I need to do everything big in Texas. We, we take him to Cowboys <laughs> Club. Experience. We do the full steak, you know. <laughs> we took him to Shields, you know, the big... Oh so he can hold his own gun. We took him to the gun range and, you know, fire. I mean, I got 357s. I've got nine oh millimeters. I mean, we started off at the 22s and we graduated up to the big boys. And it was so funny because he posted on Instagram all of this adventure. And his Japanese family were shocked about the whole gun thing. Oh, yes. But those was his Instagram family. But the Instagram Arkansas friends and U.S. Right friends, their alley. Oh, they were just like loving it. You that know, so cool. that's so awesome. You know, so it was cultural. It was just really good to remind 
us as a family, how we live in a little bubble of U.S. Mm-hmm. and there's only 300 million people here and there's 8 billion or whatever in the country now in the world now. And it's good to get a different perspective. They're very rule following in general people, very polite. They've, they think yes. a lot before they say anything. And so just to, to get him to kind of tell us about his culture and upbringing, it was great. So it was, I was very thankful to have. Very Thanksgiving, like very, everyone around the table. Yeah, we all learned, asked everyone. some really good questions and uh, it's just a great, great holiday guest. Well, that's very exciting. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was my awesome. mom and my uh, in-laws and my kids. So, like, you win. I win turkey. You win company. Yeah. So there you go. I happen to get your turkey <laughs> recipe. And I, I, gosh, that was so disappointing. Just a good old Ina Garden. Yeah, you know, yeah. The perfect roast turkey. <laughs> okay, so let's get down to business today. These questions are questions that both of us, as we prepare for this episode, sure. knew off the top of our head of like, this is kind of what, and we have episodes on all of these like individually. So we'll kind of call those out if you want to dive into something deeper, but these are all from the buyer perspective. So again, if you're a buyer listening, these are for you. If you're a seller listening, these are also for you because it's important to understand what these buyers who are looking at, maybe one of them is going to be your buyer one day. Like, what are they looking at? What are they worried about? What are they thinking about? And so that's kind of what we're going to focus on today. Today, seller's next episode. So the number one question we get, so much so that our second episode of Transition Talk ever is about this topic, is how do I find the right practice? And right practice can mean a whole lot of things to a whole lot of people. But when I say that, you know, if someone says, how do I know it's the right one? How do I find the right one? Where do you usually start? Well, I get that question every week for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just came back from lecturing to the ASDA leaders there in Chicago. So I was asked it, I don't know, four or 500 times there. 700 leaders that were there came by and asking a lot of similar questions. So the first question I put back on them is, you know, are you listening to the podcast? <laughs> of course, <laughs> of course, that answer is no. And if they say yes, then I look at them a little closer and go, well, you need to go back and listen to episode two because I'm going to give you the short version of episode two. And it's just as simply, you've got to market yourself. And so that's the mail campaign letter that I talk about and the importance of identifying where you want to be, uh, identifying kind of that cover letter, that story Mm -hmm. about yourself, identifying who those potential sellers are, being able to get that message, you know, to them, a follow-up message via phone, follow-up message via email, and you're just literally building a database. And with that database, you are now people that you're just going to be staying in touch with from that point forward. So you could be a D3 listening to this, or you could be an associate listening to this as a buyer. And other areas I would tell you is you need to think about every CE course you go to. So if you went to a Spears course, you went to a Panky course, you went to Implant course, whatever these courses are you're taking from a CE, literally as you go to these you're trying to figure out how can I be more connected to these type of people? You know, you would go to a Panky type course and say, listen, how do I get connected with other Panky graduates, other Spear graduates? And how do I figure out where those graduates are and how would I be able to communicate with them to let them know of my interest to practicing in private practice and potentially with them? There are literally thousands of dentists that are waiting for something like this. Yep. It's a reason for you that you can connect with, but it's a little bit of extra work. But that's the type of thing when you're going to training 
for something like that, you literally have a market, you know, a marketing plan when you get there. Everybody I meet, where do you practice? This is where I want to go. Are you connected here? Do you know somebody? And to be able to get other contact information. So those are CE courses, implant courses. If you are placing implants, you want to go into the detail of what implant systems are there. There's three, four, five major ones. Then let's reach out to those implant companies, figure out who the connector is in that community then go down to if it's a GP, perio, or maybe a surgeon, who are available, who are those reps, and then who do they know that may be looking for associate. The same with somebody like a Benko or Patterson or Shine. Those reps will know, hey, they just built these brand new practices. Again, more and more there, you're just kind of looking at how do I get more connected into the community and be able to find people that will be a good fit. Another great resource is when you are in school, you typically have associate professors that are coming in and teaching to some capacity. They may be in the clinic or they may be in your practice management curriculum. There are people that are in private practice that are participating in your schools in some capacity. How do you communicate with them? And again, let them know your vision of going into to private practice ownership. So I have two things yeah, to add yeah, on this one. Go for so it. first, I think it's really important, like if you're early, is to like take a step back and like put your priority list together. I kind of think about this when I was like buying my first home, right? Like I want like a non-negotiable is four bedrooms or a non-negotiable is in this neighborhood or whatever that list is. I also think that like the perfect practice is going to be out there for some people, right? But there's probably going to be some times when maybe you want to go back to your hometown and your options are three practices, right? And maybe the three practices aren't exactly what you would want clinically or don't exactly have the same, you know, the right aesthetic that you would like. But like understanding that like you have to prioritize what you want and either you wait for that practice to show up, right? Which financially can have repercussions or you say, okay, these are my non-negotiables. These are the things that I can maybe make this practice because it's not this type of practice right now, but I see the opportunity for it to become that if I put in the time and effort. So I think it's important also to like look at that and not say, well, it doesn't have every box checked, so it's not the practice for me. I'm going to wait five or six more years. I'd rather do that than spend this amount of money on this, right? Maybe that's a good decision for you. Or maybe you're leaving four years of ownership and liquidity and all of those things on the table and that could turn into that. So I think that's an important concept. And then the other concept is, I love when people ask us this question and they have listened to the podcast and we know they've listened to the podcast because they can answer a lot of the questions, but they still think that maybe we're hiding something. Like there's something that we're not right. telling anyone right. until they get we get them on the phone. And I always tell people the same thing. Like They're like, which practice in Idaho would you pick? And I'd right. be like, well, I would never live in Idaho. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Idaho. I just would prefer not to live there. But it's like a lot of these decisions are personal, right? Like I can give you all the facts and you still might pick a different practice than on paper looks like the right one for you because of all of these other reasons that are maybe particular to you and your family and what you envision, what you want to be. So like there is a piece of this that you have to have like a level of confidence about what you want so that yep. you can find the right practice and have the right data sets and make the right connections to be able to get there. Well, part of the reason that I'm so passionate about you finding the right practice and the ability you've got to put this marketing thing back on yourself is, quite honestly, the best practices, they typically can get gobbled up. They're going to be posted on a website. A broker's going to get a hold of them and sell them to a private equity or sell them to a private buyer. And now you're competing against dozens, if not 100 people to buy that practice. So the whole purpose of you using this kind of marketing campaign and building a database of people that you can kind of create this relationship is just that you created it. And now there's a sense of connectivity that you and the seller have, and that's just going to have a higher probability that 
this will create to something really awesome. It's when I get frustrated if you're just sitting around looking on you know, your phone and you know the internet about this practice that's for sale, and it just so happens that, again, X billion people have a phone as well, and they're looking at the same thing. So it's just try to make yourself different and create a different option, and let's create a lot of options, and then we can try mm-hmm. to help you through that best yes. Idaho type decision. And by the way, Coeur d'Alene is pretty dang nice. Okay. Okay. It's what came to I wouldn't mind. live there either, but I mean, you know, Hey, summer I'm around the golf, gal, you know, I'm, I'm you good know. with that little hiking. Okay. So the next question we get, which is pretty common when people are in this phase of like trying to find a practice or determine what they want to own is asking is now, and this is kind of a more recent question is now the right time to buy a practice? Like, is this a good time from an economy standpoint? And just like, is private dentistry going away? Like kind of that whole realm of like, should I buy now or should I wait? Or is it too expensive to buy now? What are you saying to those folks who are asking us that? Yeah, so you know, my resting pulse is normally like a 48, Mm -hmm. right? I'm pretty, I'm I'm about as chill as it comes. But at the ASDA conference, there was a gentleman, I won't mention names, but basically his... 45-minute argument was now is not the right time and started talking about just work-life balance and it's okay to work, you know, in a corporate environment and, you know, do that for five to 10 years. And then maybe if that, you know, makes sense later down the road and a bunch of people came up and told me about this. And so, you know, I might've got to an 80 or 90 number right when I started that lecture about ownership (laughs) because, you know, I think that you just need to hear a different side. And so being a part of this thing about the economy and of course, this particular time that we're recording this here at the end of 22, you've got the S&P top owner companies, their values have dropped around 20%. You've got NASDAQ, more technology companies that have dropped, you know, 30, 35% some that have dropped well over 50%, 75%. So you would think something like that. You would think we're in a rising interest rate period right now. Oh my gosh, maybe we shouldn't do this. And let me just take you back a little bit, a road of history. And when there was a true economic downturn in the 2008-2009 era, that's when literally when you're looking on the internet or back then a lot more newspapers were printed and you're seeing hundreds of thousands of people getting laid off. You're seeing General Motors, you're seeing this, like everything you can ever think about is just showing we're not buying cars, we're not buying anything, layoff, layoff, layoff. That was a true economic downturn and pretty dang scary. When you look at that, that market, in this case, the S&P was down right at 40%. But when you look at public companies like the Shines and the Pattersons, you can actually look and just see what the sales, now their stock may have been down more than 7%, but their sales back in that time were only down 7%. So what does that tell you? That tells you that two public companies that basically have a pretty good foothold in dentistry were representing about 7% of their customers, their sales were down. Well, that's a pretty amazing profession, dentistry is. It's, it's I'm not gonna say it's recession proof, but I mean, it is, it's close to it. When you're in a business and the market drops 40 and your business drops seven, it's a great profession. So the first thing I wanna say is just, it's a great business that has a lot less volatility compared to the overall market. And so that's a great thing for you as a listener. Second thing is interest rates. Interest rates, you know, that you hear about that, hey, they were at, you know, good dental loans, you were going at 3%, three and a quarter. Now they're at four and a half. Okay, so what does that really mean? That means if you're gonna look at a business and let's say, for example, it's doing $1.2 million, 
collections. Let's say that business makes $500,000 and the price of this practice is $1 million. What does that really mean? Well, it just means that when you borrow the million dollars, instead of paying 3% interest, you're going to pay 4.5% interest. So 1.5% is higher. That's $15,000 in this example of interest. Mm -hmm. Well, if that's the case, then is that deductible? Yes. What is your tax rate? I don't know, 35, 40%? What's that net number to you? Oh, I don't know, around eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000? Okay, so you're going to pay $10,000, quote unquote, more for the practice? Yes. Well, you know, it makes $500, $550 as an owner. Now it's going to make five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000 less? Okay. How much are you making an associate? $200. Is this a better deal? Yes. Does that have a higher interest rate? Yes. Are we in a, quote unquote, 20% downturn of the market? Yes. How, how much is it impacting dentistry? Not much, not at all. So, I mean, this is stop listening to Facebook, stop listening to the news. This is a great freaking opportunity to get in this space and be an owner. And if you are unsure about that, ask one more question. Why would $100 million, billion dollar type private equity companies enter the space of dentistry if they were concerned about a recession or concerned about interest rates? And they're not. They are flourishing to this area of ownership. So it's a great time. It really is. We don't have examples of people buying businesses and all of a sudden this economic downturn or something flipped and these practices are all of a sudden just going bankrupt. So is it a great time? I think it's still an excellent time. Well, and I'll add to that that when I started with NDP, interest rates in the dental space have always been lower than other general acquisition loans and they were at this rate yeah so you know nine years ago whatever like this is what people were buying practices for and they slowly went down and there were some times where it was crazy it's like one and a half if you got this you know holiday fine that's super super low 4.75 is still not absurd Right. We're not talking 18% interest. So it right. is still a low interest rate environment for a smart investment, smart return. You've done your homework. You know what you're buying. You know the cash flows. You know, if people back then would have waited, right, they would have missed out on eight years of cash flow. That's right. Right. Or six years or four years or however long it took to get to the lowest point. So just keeping that perspective in mind, I think, is also really important. Just on that note, this is the math. If you were the associate and you're making 200, you're the owner, you're going to make 450. That's a $250,000 more per year. If you wait four years, that's a million dollars. That's a million reasons why that you would buy now versus yep. versus later. So yep. I always look at it and always try to educate on that perspective. I get you want to work one or two years to get that experience, but this whole four or five, six year, seven year to maybe pay down that debt because it feels better. That's where my blood pressure slash pulse goes up a little bit. Question number three. All right. Okay, so this is typically when someone has found a practice and we've had a call, maybe they've engaged us, we're kind of working through the diligence. There's always the question of like, how do I know that this is the practice? Okay, and how do I know this is right? And how do I know that I'm making the right decision? And there are a lot of ways to know you're making a right and wrong decision, right? And we talked about some of those on question one and let I want to get your perspective on this. But before we do, I want to say that I feel like sometimes this question is asked when someone has done their homework, they have all the diligence, they've asked all the questions, they know the cash flows. This question sometimes comes from a place of fear because they're gonna own something they're going to take out a really big loan and it's scary and they want someone to assure them and guarantee that it's going to be fine. It's going to make 
all the money in the world and you're going to be fantastic, right? And we can say, based on history and based on what we've seen, dentistry, like you said, is has shown to be recession-proof. It's shown to be pandemic-proof. 98% of these dental practices don't fail according to kind of these big banks. But at the end of the day, you are investing in a business. You are taking on the risk of ownership, which is why the opportunity of ownership is so big, right? No one, no one can tell you it will not fail, right? There's always a chance out there that something will fail. So you kind of have to trust yourself and trust your research and trust the work you have put in and your gut is telling you it's the right thing. You will always feel a little bit of nerves when you're about to make this decision, in my opinion, right? Like it's a big decision. It's a big investment. You're taking on a lot of responsibility. All these people are going to be relying on you, but there's also a lot of opportunity there too. So I have a hard time with this question because it's kind of like the, how do I find a practice question? People kind of look to us to like give them a guarantee, like you a hundred percent are going to be amazing. And here's the exact dollar amount you're going to make next year. No one can give you that. Right. But so this question is a little bit you know, for me, but how do you, how do I know this is the right one? How do I know I'm going to be okay? What's your answer here? The other thing too, when people are that unsure about things, I want to remind them that what do you do now? Well, I'm an employee. You think that's a guarantee? Yeah. I mean, there's a higher likelihood you're going to be terminated from that practice. That doctor is going to sell to somebody else without you knowing than you failing. That's just math. I mean, 99% certainty that you don't fail. I like those odds. Yeah. Okay. You know, typically it's somebody who's has been out one or two years, three years sometimes, that they're more comfortable at that point to take that risk. I look at the numbers, I just tell them, I just say, hey, I love what I see, but I need you to sell me on it. Mm-hmm. Get them to turn it back around and go, sell me on what you see and what you love about this practice. Tell me you love the equipment. Tell me you love the patient base. Tell me you love the chart audit that you've done. And this is a very kind of generic crown and bridge practice. And he or she's referring out all these procedures and tell me that it's all fee for service. Tell me that he's got low fees. Mm -hmm. She's got low fees. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have the ability to make all of these changes. Sell me on it. Yeah, I agree. So I want to hear from them. And I love it. I know I've got somebody very interested when I've got the husband and the wife. You know, if it's the female dentist and the husband there support or the, the male dentist and the female wife, I I know. Even when I talk to Kane Waters clients, I know I know they're in. Like this is mm-hmm. a very important meeting that they have and they are. They are looking with us in this kind of complimentary review. What do you think, Charles? You yeah. know? And I had one just recently and they were a young couple, three years out, Heartland. And I won't mention the city, but this is in Florida, major metro city. And he had a lot of good training. And he was going to be buying a practice. It was doing million two, million three. Great, unbelievable overhead at 50%. I'm loving the cash, 600 grand. He was going to have a little bit of commute. That was my only issue with him. But he said he loves listening to podcasts. He loves just, you know, that quiet time that he has. And it wasn't really a big commute as far yeah. as like traffic. Yeah. It was the just literally just distance. 25, 30 minutes and 25 yeah. or 30 miles. And it was just kind of there and back. So it was okay with him. They don't have kids yet. So mm-hmm. I like to be a little closer from home, to mm-hmm. be quite honest, once the kiddos get in place. But when I looked at the big picture of location, the size, the dentistry, I looked at his experience. Could he do the work? I looked at the procedure mix that the doctor was doing. The equipment he was, I really wanted nicer stuff. And I told him the price was very fair. And if we needed to go in and maybe have a conversation with the doctor to see if there's some small amount of wiggle room to upgrade some of the technology, fine. But I, I told him full asking price was more than fair. At the end of it, Christy, I was just like, guys, I'm in. 
Like, I really need for you to tell me this is something you don't want. Because you're wasting my time and you're wasting your time when we can't get past it because the numbers are there. Yeah. I've had several, well, I shouldn't say several, but there we've had a few clients over the last, you know, few years where we had the call, we engage, we do all the diligence, and then they like hone in on like one thing that doesn't matter, right? Like there's some, I don't know, health insurance that they pay the staff. I'm like, yeah, but, but it's already in the numbers, right? but I don't, but I don't like it. And I, I just feel like that's a risk and like, what if, and what if, and what if, and what if I'm like, what are we really not liking or really not wanting to do? Right. Because sometimes we like hone in on something that's a negative and we make it a bigger deal than it is. I mean, not, not to say it wasn't a deal. It was a hurdle they were going to have to overcome, but it's already in the numbers. So I think that too, like that's a unique perspective that you and I have is we get to talk out these things and like we hear in their, in their voice, they might not be saying right. what it is, but we hear it. And I think that's, to me, if you've done all your homework, all these numbers make sense, this still might not be the practice for you. And don't go forward with something because the numbers work, right? Or it's that great practice, right? It could be the best practice ever somewhere that you hate, you know what I mean? And you're going to, you're going to hate it. And and so you try to talk yourself out of it because all, what about all these other risk factors? Well, all those other risk factors are going to be there no matter what. So I think that's my thing with that is it's like really understanding, like, why do you love something? And if we can get them to say why they love it, a lot of times that fear will go away because they'll voice all the positive versus all the negative because we're naturally inclined to talk about the negative stuff. Or you hear them honing in on this one horrible thing that's really not a problem. And so then it's like, hey, what do you really not like? Because this seems to be something you're focusing on. So what I do is I want to figure out how we can take all of these hours and submit it in to somehow just immediately get our doctorate in psychology. Oh my gosh. We have earned it. We have earned it. We have gone through and counseled so many people through everything underneath the sun. It's like, yeah, you just, this is not for you. You need to walk away (laughs) (laughs) for my sanity and for yours. We are not doing this. I've literally said that a couple of times. I've been like, you should just not buy this practice. Like I'm not one, I'm not going to take out the loan. So like at the end of the day, I'm not going to be responsible like for this. You are, and you don't want this. And so let's just cut our ties here. It's also a good way to know when because I'm with you. I've used that many times just from a tactic to figure out what do you really want to do? If you give them the option to say, I'm leaning towards you're just going to walk away and I understand unless you can convince me of why I think we just need to move on. The only time we're going to go back is there, well, I think I can get past it. Then let's move on. You know what <laughs> I mean? Let's get over that hump and stop bringing up the freaking health insurance. It's $10,000. You're going to make a half a million. Why are just we talking like about this 45 minutes in? Trying to like jump over a hurdle and just like dragging it with their oh, leg. Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. The last and probably like most important question that we get, um, I wouldn't say, I shouldn't say most important, but we get often is, how do I know the value of this practice is solid? How do I know I'm not overpaying? How do I know that like the cash flow support this value? And oftentimes those questions come along with a practice that either has a low overhead or the percentage of collections that they're paying, right? Those rules of thumb right. is outside of the range of what they thought was normal. We have talked about valuation in a lot of episodes. So if you want to go back, episode 21, episode 73, episode 52. So go back and listen to those when we talk about like value and how we come at that number. But ultimately what you will hear, if I can sum it up, is the value of what you're gonna pay is dependent on the cash flow. And based on what am I getting for that value and do those numbers work for me in my life, 
right? Yep. And so episode 25, we talk about the profit and loss and kind of diving in. So if you don't know, when I say cash flow, if you don't know what I'm talking about, one, there's like 70 jillion more episodes you can go listen to, but start at 25, you can learn about the profit and loss. But this question is common, even for people who have like a good base knowledge of that because it feels more real when you're about to spend your own money and get that loan for that amount. And the difference between 800 and 825 sounds like a lot, right? but it's not. Right. The other thing, if you listen to the other specialties as well. So if you are a specialist, just know that the values will change uh, with regard to specialty and what your unique situation is. Again, it, it could be something, whereas a D4 is coming out and they're going into a practice and perhaps they're asking the senior doctor to get a value before the business because in their mind they feel like they're going to grow it and unfortunately that's just not the real world if that senior doctor does do that that's okay and that's great for you but just don't be surprised if he or she does not do that prior they're taking a significant risk on to bring you in they're paying a salary they're typically you know, paying an assistant full-time they're probably adding chairs their CE courses significant amount of money they're going to invest in you and actually lose money on you out of the gate. And you just can't expect that they're just going to get the value, spend all that money to do that. And it may or may not work out a year or two because you decide to do something different. I typically would tell in that example that we get the value after you've been there. And typically, yes, it will be a little bit more, but that is reasonable and fair for that senior doctor to recoup some of that just on the investment that, that they have made in you. When do I vary that? Well, uh, I would say if your situation was unique, maybe you've been out three to four years, uh, maybe you're you know certain CE you're maybe bringing to the table, maybe you got four or five options and that senior doctor just literally says, I realize advisors, whoever they're working with, that I'll, I could probably have a higher value down the road, but this is what I need to do from a marketing standpoint to maybe recruit this person and certainly make cases for specialists that are high in demand, sometimes a pedo in a rural area or maybe a surgeon or maybe an endodontist. There are certain specialties and by location that you might make an argument as a associate resident slash somebody with a lot of experience that maybe you can make the case that the valuation of the practice is done maybe prior to. But just going back to some of those episodes, some general, general, general rules. The million-dollar practice with a very nice overhead. Again, that would depend by specialty. But if we're talking to general dentist, let's say that it has a 55% overhead. I would say that's a very good overhead. I would not be surprised that if it has good finish out and equipment, that that value would come in around 85% of collections, so around, call it an $850,000 practice. Have we seen where it values higher? Yes. Have we seen if it values lower? Yes, it would depend. There's lots of different risk factors that we would look, cash flows, assets of the practice, location, et cetera. And again, go back to listen to a lot of those episodes. So value is certainly important, but remember as a buyer, it's not just the value, it's how you get compensated on the way in. When the value takes place, or is it is a partnership opportunity? You're going to buy the practice. If it's going to be a partnership, how do you split money? How much are you going to be buying in? What's the benefit? A short and long term? Is there real estate involved? Are you getting mentorship? Are you getting flexibility with work-life balance? Meaning you got a partner, somebody there for coverage. So many things. And so don't get caught up on just the one thing of the value. And I will be telling this, and Christy will be telling this to our senior doctors as we talk about values in our next episode as well. There's a lot of moving parts to this. Just know that value is just one of them. 
Absolutely. That was a really good answer. All right, team. You're so sincere. It really was. You're just like shocking. I was like, I was going to add something, but I just couldn't think of anything other than just hearing my voice. So I'm just going to say, all right, team. It's That's a wrap for today. Yeah. Yeah. I, a funny story. We just came back from Aspen and, you know, the joke, the joke around the office is, what does Charles do? And then every once in a while, they, it's you know, they'll go true. see me speak, speak and... Maybe talk to people and, and they go, well, yeah, I guess he does knows a little bit. <laughs> he knows a little bit what he's talking about. He knows a little bit. We'll give him a little credit. Like I said, you text me, you're like, I have a plan. I was like, I never doubted you have a plan. You always have a plan. All right, that's all we have for today. Thanks for joining us on episode 79 of Transition Talk. If you have a dental transition question of your own, please send them our way at ndptransitions.com. Just find a contact form and give us your information and your question. We'd love to help you with your transition needs. As always, make sure to share the transition love with those who may not know of us yet. And of course, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, friends. See ya.